I'm kind of grateful that uh, my children belong to a generation that hasn't yet been named, but who do not know what records and record players are, because they cannot tell me, Dad, you sound like a broken record. I don't know what... <laughs> I don't know what this generation will say. Dad, you sound like an MP3 that didn't quite render correctly. I, I don't know. There's not going to be an analogy for them that's, not, that's, that's as good as a, a broken record. But I'm starting to feel like, as we preach through, as we work through Genesis and the life of Abraham, I'm starting to feel like a broken record. Like week after week after week, what we've seen is the faithfulness of God, that God is trustworthy, that Abraham continues to have faith in God, and that God continues to make good on his promises. Amen is right. I also wish I had something new to preach today. But as we come to a different text, we find the same theme over again. God is faithful. In Genesis chapter 21, we find that in faithfulness to his promise of offspring, God brings about the birth of Isaac, the promised son to Abraham and to Sarah. Now, Isaac will take prominence over Ishmael, the first son of Abraham through his relationship with Hagar, the Lord does not abandon Hagar and Ishmael, but the Lord will care for them and cause Ishmael to, pro to prosper. In this, though, we see just the continued faithfulness of God and his mercy toward the vulnerable. This is a theme we continue to see in the life of Abraham. And it's a theme that, that is not by accident. It's here on purpose. We're supposed to see, we're meant to see the faithfulness of God all through Abraham's life. The, the text of Genesis is intentionally showing this to us. And I think that nothing in scripture happens by accident, okay? And so I think that, that part of the reason God is continuing to show us his faithfulness in Genesis is because we need that reminder yeah. over and over and over again, week by week, day by day month after month and year after year, that God is faithful. In our text this morning, in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 21, we'll find that God not only delivers on his promise to Abraham, but he also protects his promise to Abraham as he provides for Hagar and for Ishmael. In light of seeing, once again, God's faithfulness, his kindness, we should be moved to celebrate God for those things this morning. We should be moved to worship God for his faithfulness and for his kindness. We're going to look at our text in, in two chunks today. The first is chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Will you stand with me as we honor God by reading his word? Genesis 21, beginning in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears me will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. In these first few verses of Genesis chapter 21, like a broken record, we find that the Lord does as he promises. The Lord does as he promises. 
There are three phrases in the first two verses of this chapter that lead us to see God's intimate action in the scene. We might, in reading these first few verses, be tempted to think that maybe Sarah or Abraham is the, uh, the center of the text, the one around whom the, the text is revolving, the, the focus of these verses. Or maybe Isaac, this, this promised son who's now on the, uh, now on the scene and, and now has been born. We might be tempted to look at these human characters as the center of the story, but uh, the author of Genesis, Moses, points us to the real hero, the real center of the story, and that is God. Look at these first few verses, chapter 21, verse 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. That little phrase, as he had said, reminds us, takes us back to chapter 17, verse 19, where there God is giving the, the covenant of circumcision with Abraham and a renewed promise of offspring and telling Abraham, I will cause your wife to bear you a son. We read in, uh, uh, at the end of verse 1, So the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God does what he says. God does what he promises. This promise that God gives to Sarah or that he's fulfilling here takes us back to Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, where uh, the Lord and his two angelic visitors uh, or two angelic attendants visited Abraham outside of his tent and told him that his wife, Sarah, would bear him a son while Sarah was inside the tent. And, and she heard these things and she laughed. Uh, the Lord responds to her laughter in Genesis eighteen fourteen, saying in, re- in response to his promise, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. The Lord does as he has said. The Lord uh, uh, visits, uh, does to Sarah as he had promised. And then we see uh, uh, towards the end of our, uh, or in the middle of our passage today, as Abraham names his son Isaac and circumcises him when he's eight days old, in verse four, he does as God commanded him. So God says things and he, and, and, and he, does, he makes good by his word. God promises things and he fulfills that promise. God gives commands to Abraham and those, promise, and those commandments are, uh, are upheld, are practiced. All of this teaches us that God keeps his promises. God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He keeps his promises in his own way, in his own timing, and for his own glory. It's all over Abraham's life. The central character of Abraham's life is not Abraham. It is the Lord who makes promises and who fulfills them and is faithful to his servant. In verses 3 through 5, we see that Abraham does obediently what God has commanded him. He names his son Isaac, circumcises him on the eighth day. Remind, uh, just, just by way of reminder, Abraham is a hundred years old. Okay. I don't know any hundred year olds. I've never known any hundred year olds, but I've not even known any 90 year olds that have had uh, or, or conceived children. Okay. So what God is doing with Abraham and his 90 year old wife is truly miraculous. He is doing the impossible. There is nothing that is too hard for the Lord. And Abraham in response to God's miraculous care and faithfulness does what God commanded him. He, he uh, devotes his son Isaac uh, to, to the Lord, having him circumcised and, and there committing himself to teach his son about the promise and about who the Lord is. Abraham does what the faithful God has commanded him to do. And in verses six and seven, we read specifically the words, the celebration of Sarah as she celebrates God's faithfulness. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. 
She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah and Abraham named their son Isaac, a name that they were commanded by God to give him. A name that means literally he laughs. Isaac is named so because both Abraham and Sarah laughed when God told them that in their old age they would have a child. And God says, you think that's funny? Wait till I tell you what you're going to name your son. So Isaac's name, he laughs, is a constant reminder of their laughter, of their lack of faith in light of the promise of God. But his, his name fulfills two purposes. It does two things at the same time. One, it reminds them of their previous laugh, laughter and, and lack of trust at one time in God's promise. And, and now here he is in front of them as kind of an ironic reminder of their laughter. But also, his name, meaning he laughs, is also a, a sign, if you will, of the joy, of the laughter, of the celebration and rejoicing that comes to this old couple who has just given birth to this son. Isaac is a source of joy from God. God will bring joy to others when they think of Sarah and Isaac. That's why Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. He's given me a reason to, to, to rejoice. And those who hear about this will laugh over me. This is not a, this is not a, a, a word spoken about uh, her expectation of people making fun of her, of mocking her. She's not saying people will make fun of this 90-year-old woman who gave birth to a son. She's saying people will rejoice with me over God's faithfulness to me. This is awesome. Verse 7, she says, Who would have said, that a, uh, said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Who would have said to Abraham that God would do the impossible? And yet the impossible has happened. Remember in Genesis chapter 18, 14, the Lord says himself to Abraham and Sarah outside Abraham's tent. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. Unequivocally, no, there's nothing impossible. There's nothing he cannot do. And Sarah here in chapter uh, 21, verse 7, is celebrating God's faithfulness to do the impossible. In light of all of the wonderful celebration going, around, going on in the, these first few verses of chapter 21 in the birth of Isaac. That should lead us, it should, should, should spurn us, we who know God, to celebrate the faithfulness of God. We should celebrate God's faithfulness regularly, in a disciplined way, on purpose, trying to. Now, here are three ways that you can celebrate the faithfulness of God on a regular basis. Number one, share with others the way that God has been faithful to you. With words, in conversation, communicate to others how God has been faithful to you. Share your own testimony of salvation with other brothers and sisters. How God called you from darkness to light, from death to life by faith in Jesus. Share your testimony of salvation with people who don't know Christ to demonstrate to them, to, to give a, a good answer to their questions about who God is, that he is faithful. Talk with your spouse about the ways God has proved his faithfulness to you during your work week. Speak with your brothers and sisters uh, here at church fellow members of the, of the church, about times when God showed up in ways that you prayed he would. As you're praying for people to share the gospel with this year, and God gives you opportunity to share the gospel with them, take those, those answers to prayer and share them with your Sunday school classes, with small groups that you meet in, with brothers and sisters you're meeting with for discipleship, to say, I prayed and God answered. He was faithful. Celebrate with me. Share with others the way God has been faithful to you. Second, Keep a record of God's faithfulness to you. Keep a record of God's faithfulness to you. 
Now, I'm not a journaler. I don't like to write things down. I'm not the kind of person who sits in front of an empty notebook at the end of the day unless I am compelled by a particular educational program that I am in to do so. I'm not the kind of person who likes to sit down and write down his thoughts and that sort of thing throughout the day. But as someone who, by the constraints of an educational program that he is enrolled in, has to journal every day, I've seen the benefit of writing down those times when God moves in my life. Those times when God is faithful, those times when God encourages me in times of darkness, of writing down and keeping a record of of those prayers that God answered. You may not be a journaler and that's okay, but consider keeping a record of some sort of God's faithfulness to you. Because there will come a day where you feel like things are just really dark and really bad and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no silver lining to the clouds in the sky. And what you need is, is a reminder of God's faithfulness. And what better reminder than, the, than, than to see, to go back and look at times when God has already been faithful in your life before. Keep a record of God's faithfulness to you. Then third, and this is not an exhaustive list, but third... Celebrate the faithfulness of God by worshiping with your church family. Worshiping with your church family. If nothing else, our worship in this room each week is a collective reminder of God's faithfulness to graciously save us from sin by faith in his son. And celebrations are naturally collective events. We celebrate with others. We celebrate our dog's second birthday today. We don't really know if that's his birthday or not, but it's the day that we have chosen to be his birthday. And uh, we went over to my mom's last night. We had corned beef and cabbage because it's St. Patrick's Day today after all. And we celebrated Barney's birthday all together. We included you know, my parents, my sister, her husband, and all our kids, everything. Nikki made a cake for the dog. Um, not, there's no sugar. It's like apple and peanut butter and that sort of thing, right? And, uh, and, and Barney just inhaled the whole thing. But we sang happy birthday to our dog. I know it's kind of silly, but you know he's like a member of our family now. We've come to love him and hate him at the same time. He's really, he's really a member of our family, right? Uh, and we, we celebrated together. We sang together. We talked to each other about the dog, right? We just enjoyed his presence together. There wasn't like 10 of us individually celebrating Barney and not talking to one another about it. We're all celebrating Barney together. We're telling stories about how stupid he is. And sorry, I said the S word again, how dumb he is. And, and also how much we love him, right? We were just doing it all together. Celebrations happen with others. But sometimes I fear that when, when we worship, we, we too much have a tendency to, to worship uh, uh, not with one another, but alongside one another. Like I go to worship and I sing songs to God about his faithfulness and so do some other people on Sunday. But we worship, uh, my, my, my fear is that we too often worship alongside one another and not with each other. So when you sing... Christian, listen to the voices of those around you and lend your voice to theirs in collective worship of our faithful God. As we open God's word, open your Bible, keep it open, read along, pray for the one who is preaching and help your children to know that this time is not about our private devotion to God, but about our whole congregation's learning and growing and celebrating of God's faithfulness all together. We are not a room of 200 or, or so individuals who worship each week. We are a family of faith who worship together. 
So pay attention to the people around you. Get to know the people you sit next to. Sit next to someone new next week and worship with the body of Christ. If you have come to see your need to turn from your sin and your selfishness and to seek a renewed life and relationship with God by giving your life to Christ who died for you and rose again, dear friend, you are the fruit of the faithfulness of our loving God. You are the product of his redemption. That truth is worth celebrating. It's worth being excited about. And that God that we worship is worth worshiping publicly. He's worth worshiping together. And he's worth worshiping enthusiastically. So as often as you can and the Lord allows, worship with a smile on your face. Worship with your arm around a brother or a sister or your daughter or your wife or your husband or a friend. Listen to the people around you. Lend your voice to theirs as we sing. Talk back to me when I preach so that I know that that you're all listening. I'm grateful for those of you who do. Oh, y'all get me tickled. But celebrate the faithfulness of God, right? Our time in worship together on Sunday mornings ought to be exciting. It ought to be enthusiastic because we know we're reminding ourselves yet again of God's continued faithfulness to us. These should be joyous times in the life of the church, even as we are equipped to do the work that God has called us to. We see that the Lord does what he has promised And then in verses 8 through 21, we see that the Lord deals in kindness. Let me read these verses to us. Verse 8 says, The child grew, this is Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For though, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread, uh, took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The Lord deals in kindness. Verses 8 through 21 of chapter 21 are a really difficult scene for us to observe. Like Genesis 16, when Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham and she conceives only to be kicked out of Abraham's house, the second expulsion of Hagar from Abraham's house is a truly painful one. In the scene, it appears that at the feast given when Isaac is weaned, at this time Isaac is probably two to three years old, and Ishmael is probably 15 to 16 years old, 
uh, Ishmael there at the feast uh, after the weaning was laughing at, was mocking the young Isaac. When Sarah, Isaac's mother, sees this, sees Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the maidservant, mocking the child of promise Isaac, Sarah demands that Abraham send Ishmael and his mother away, kick them out. Verse 11 tells us that Abraham was very displeased by this. The phrase means something actually more like his blood was boiling. Abraham is really angry that his wife would make him kick his firstborn son out. Even though Ishmael is not the son of promise, he's still Abraham's son. But in the night, God appears to Abraham and tells him to do as Sarah has wished. God is neither condoning nor appro- uh, or approving of Sarah's wish, but just promising to bless Ishmael because he's also Abraham's son. God is giving consolation to Abraham in the midst of his sadness. And so Abraham gently, and very likely with mourning in his heart, gives Hagar some bread and a skin of water, about three gallons worth of water. This seems like remarkably little to send her off with. It it really is. But the Bible does not tell us why it is so little. It just says this is what he gave to her, perhaps in his haste to get her and, and Ishmael out of the house as his wife desired. He just sent her off with what he could grab quickly. Nevertheless, Hagar goes off with Ishmael and they wander in the wilderness. And when their water runs out, she sets her teenage son under the shade of a bush while she goes a distance off. So as not to torture herself by his cries of thirst as she herself sits to wait to die. This is a hard scene to read. This is a painful scene to come across. But in verse 17, God shows up. Verse 17 says that he heard, God heard the voice of the boy. Remember, Ishmael's name means God hears, God listens. And God has heard the cry of this boy for help. God is not far off. He is near to those who are in need. He is close to those who who he knows and who cry out to him for help. And in verses 17 and 18, an angel of the Lord appears to comfort Hagar, just like in chapter 16, verse 7. And the angel instructs her to get up and to take her son, for God will not forsake them. God is not going to leave them to die alone in the wilderness, but he will take and make Ishmael to be a great nation also. And so getting up in verse 19, God shows her, shows Hagar a well she had not previously seen. And in that source of sustenance, she and her son Ishmael are both saved. Ishmael will grow and and know the presence of God in his life. He'll become a leader of great people. His mother finds for him a wife and he'll become a man of prominence. And we'll we'll see his, his offspring, his lineage here in just a few chapters in a few weeks as we close out Abraham's life. And just as God was kind and caring and present with Hagar in the wilderness in Genesis 16, as God is tender with this woman and her son in deep need, so also is he with her and Ishmael in the wilderness here in, in, uh, in this chapter. And just because Ishmael is not the son of the promise does not mean that God will forsake him. It does, mean, does not mean that God will forsake his mother to die in the desert. No, friends, God is kind and caring toward the vulnerable, and he delivers them from danger here in this chapter. We should see again the heart of God for those in need. The kindness of God to Hagar and to Ishmael in this chapter of Genesis will become typical of how God deals in kindness with the vulnerable throughout the rest of Scripture. 
all throughout the law and the prophets. If I mean, we could go through and find literally dozens of examples. We don't have time for that today. But all through the law and the prophets of the Old Testament, God will be instructing his people. Israel, the sons of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God will be instructing them to deal kindly with the orphan and the widow and with the immigrant. Why? Because as God's people, they are to deal kindly with the vulnerable as God has done. They are to deal with others in the same way that God deals with them in kindness in generosity with care and compassion. This kindness, though, the kindness that Israel is to show to the widow and the orphan and the the sojourner, the immigrant among them, is just a small foretaste, though, of the great kindness that God will uh, will give not to the vulnerable, but to the undeserving. The kindness that Israel is to show to the widow and the orphan and the immigrant, the sojourner, is, is just a foretaste, a small foretaste of the great kindness God shows to those who are not just vulnerable, but who do not deserve it. My concern is that too often we misunderstand the kindness of God, the the love of God toward us. That sometimes we we can tend to make the love of God this ethereal, ephemeral, abstract sort of thing that anyone can experience any way that they feel. It's a subjective thing. I feel loved by God because this happened. Or I just feel more loved by God today. And that's the problem with God's love. We equate it to a feeling that we have and we miss how the Bible describes God's love. Your experience of the love of God is not just in, in, in how you feel day by day and how your emotions are raised or lowered as the moment goes by. God's love to us is, is more even than just his happy thoughts about us. God's love toward us is not just an emotion that he has, an affection that waxes or wanes with his favor toward us at a particular time. No, his kindness is is not his total acceptance and tolerance of us. His love, his kindness is defined by what he does, by how he acts, how he treats sinners who have rejected him as ruler of the universe and rightful king of their lives. You want to know what God's love is like? Let's look at scripture to describe it. Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 tells us this. That while we were still weak, while we were helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not, not God shows his love for us and that he thought happy things about us, even while we were not very nice to look at. No, God shows his love to us in meaningful, tangible, real ways. He shows his love for us in that even while we were rebels to his reign over the universe, his, his kingship over our lives, he shows his love by sending Christ to die for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 2 talking about how we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Not only can dead men tell no tales, but dead men can't do nothing. But chapter 2 verse 4 of Ephesians says this, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How does God love us? 
How does God love us? But when we, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. That's how God loves us. That's how he defines his love. First John chapter four, verses nine and 10. John, the apostle in this, his first letter to the church defines what love is for us. In verse nine, he says in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That is it, it became revealed to us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. How shall we know God's love? How shall we define God's love? By the sending of Christ to die for us. Verse 10 says, in this is love. So John's saying, let me, let me define love for you, okay? It's not that we have loved God. That's not love. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love, does, love is not a thing that our sinful hearts do on their own toward God. Love is a thing that God in his love for us awakens in us by his Holy Spirit to see his holiness and to see our sin for how bad it is and to see in real, true human form what his love looks like. Jesus, the sinless son of God who gave his life for us on the cross. That is love. That is kindness and the love and kindness that God shows to Hagar and Ishmael in the wilderness here in chapter 21 is just a small foretaste of the kind of sacrificial, generous, relentless and, 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 and excessive love that God has for his people. God will do more than give us water to quench our thirst in the desert. He'll send his son whose blood purchases us from our sin that we might be sons of God. Oh, how good is God's love and kindness to us. Dear friend, then seeing this morning the kindness of God, the love of God, not only to the vulnerable, but especially to the undeserving, receive the kindness of God's salvation by faith in Jesus today. That is what this truth of, of knowing that God deals in kindness, that is what this truth requires of you today, to receive the kindness of God's salvation by faith in Jesus. Yes, God is wonderfully kind to the vulnerable in chapter 21 of Genesis. But to the one who has despised him, he has shown the greater kindness even still. Hagar and Ishmael receive the kindness of the Lord with full embrace because they know their desperate situation and need in the desert without any water, without any food. But dear friend, have you seen your great need before God? Do you know that in your sins you are spiritually dead and separated from him? Have you begun by the help of God's Holy Spirit to detest your rebellion against him? And long to be brought near to your creator. If that is true for you, then be glad today and know that God himself has provided the payment for your sin. He's made the way for you to be right with him. He has already shown his love and his kindness to you. And if you will forsake your sin and embrace God's son, Jesus, as the sacrifice for your sin and the one who has risen from the dead to bring you to his father, God will rescue you to be born again in spirit. In his kindness and love, he has done all the work of salvation on your behalf. He has done for you what you cannot do for yourself out of his mercy, out of his love, out of his kindness toward you, not wanting you to perish, but wanting you to come to life. He has given his son to pay the debt you cannot pay. Friend, you have nothing to prove to him. You have nothing to prove to God. Even now, he is calling you to trust Christ 
Even now, God is calling you to be brought from spiritual death to eternal life by placing your faith in Jesus, his son, receiving Christ as Lord of your life. So receive God's love, receive his kindness, embrace this kind and caring God by trusting in Christ today. And brother and sister, you who have trusted Christ this way, you who know these things about who God is, you who know the penalty for your sin, you who know that that Christ has died for you and risen in your place, you who have given your life to him wholly as Lord, you who know Jesus this way this morning, rejoice. Rejoice, be glad. Remind yourself of the faithfulness of God to provide a way of salvation and respond this morning by celebrating his faithfulness with your brothers and sisters in Christ. God does as he promises. He will provide a way of salvation. He has in Jesus who has died for us and and been risen again. And in that he shows to us the greatest picture of his love and kindness to us. God hates your sin. He loves your soul. He sent his son to save it. Don't despise him today. Receive him. And if you have received him, rejoice in the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. Praise God. He is faithful. Praise God that he does as he promises. Praise God that he deals in kindness with sinners who don't deserve it. Let's pray together.